0: As far as the world is aware, the Guild is led by the Magister. They are, in turn, led by the Minerva Council. Councilors ensure that the Magister remains informed about any matters relevant to the Guild's interests. Unbeknownst to the rest of the world, including most members of the Guild, the Minerva Council is the true power behind the organization. Welcome to Soul Story.
1: My name is Falcon, and I'll be playing Wheezy White. I'm Miriam, playing Aurora Aurora.
2: I'm Mike Lane, and I'll be playing Neil Yolini.
0: And I'm your lady of podcasting, Alex. But today, you can call me Fate Master. is early morning and we are back in malifaux but not malifaux proper we are now in the quarantine zone if we were a camera imagine if you will going through the middle of powderberg which is a town or a quadrant of the quarantine zone full of squat buildings square not much height Nothing really imaginative. And as you continue to push forward at this casual pace, we see a wrought iron fence and a gate that's already cracked open. And the moment you pass through, you're in a completely different neighborhood. You wouldn't believe that if you looked behind your back, it'd be such a stark difference. Now you are seeing neo-gothic mansions surrounded with hedges towering above into the skyline. The sunlight just starting to break apart the the dark black of night into that nice deep blue and so just a little bit of yellow on the horizon. As the camera progresses, you see different kinds of people wandering about. There's some folks in we'll say armor, cloaks, hats, keeping a careful eye, making sure there's no trouble wandering about. Not too far off, however, we do see quiet trouble. We see folks in blood-stained lab coats, and gloves, and goggles, and masks. Pulling behind them, bodies double their size, clearly dead, wrapped in tarps. As we continue to push through the town, we find an alleyway, and you hear the faint sound of guns being cleaned, being reloaded. Voices from above on a rooftop can be heard, Although exactly what they're saying, hard to decipher. Mostly laughter at last night's shenanigans. And we continue this path until we find a house in particular. My best description at this time, I imagine it like the Adams Family house. Tall, sprawling, maybe not as much yardage, not as much acres. Has a beautiful pillar, porch, reaching maybe even taller than most of the other buildings
1: in the area. Could I add a little something? Yeah, of course. Um, Could I imagine that this probably was a mansion of some kind, but Mm -hmm. I guess due to certain events, which you might have a better understanding of, there's a giant hole in the middle. (laughs) Um, However, it has been turned into a courtyard of sorts. Cool.
0: Wonderful. I like that. I like that a lot. I wonder what caused that giant hole. Only time will tell. And I'd say in a recent addition as well, it still looks nice. But it doesn't have quite the same antique feel that the rest of the mansion has is a greenhouse. And it covers and it stretches out into most of the yardage on the right side. Plants grow here. I mean, plants grow all over this neighborhood. And it's not that they're not uncared for. It's as if whoever could care for them couldn't have enough time to care for them. There's an attempt. There's pride in it but also a kind of a quaint charm of the overgrown ivy. We push through the front door and we see this foyer and the makeshift door that leads into the courtyard. To the right we see some stairs that go up. And we'll even say it's a spiral staircase right there because I love me a good spiral staircase. Mhm. We crawl up the stairs. The light is starting to shine a little brighter the blue's gone, more pinks, even though, even more reds as the sun wakes up. We go through and you know what, I think this is the kind of place too that has checkered pattern flooring. It's not even hardwood. It's the black and white marble.
1: Ooh. In, In the courtyard, like in the middle of it, could there be like an attempt at like a small little um, tree growing? It's like, definitely it's been planted recently and it's just like struggling to grow, but it'll grow eventually. It'll be, it'll match the ivy and decker. Um, but it's actually of um, a more sort of native uh, native to South Asia plant tree. Um, which is actually a people tree, which looks pretty, like, it, it's like a mangrove sort of a tree. Okay. But right now it's very scrawny and small.
0: <laughs> its roots are setting in. Yeah, I like it. Perfect. I like that a lot. I like that more than just like a fountain that's broken and not working. Like, there's clear attempt at trying to make a home here. <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine there's maybe even like mismatched furniture outside. Not like velvet oh. or anything, but it's like definitely outside furniture that you've maybe
1: found. Wicker, yes. Like wicker, bamboo, sort of.
0: Yes,
1: yes, 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 yes. With fresh cushions on them. It's it's meant to be for like hot weather, but you're not. I don't know what the weather is like over here but it's like regardless of what the weather is these are clearly meant for like sunny outdoor patio and it's really is a stark contrast to sort of the general gothicness of the house I can let you know that this
0: place it's mean it's almost right next to a swamp so it is hot and muggy and we're in early July at this point so it is awful out mm-hmm. That courtyard comes in handy. Very much so. Camera climbs up to your bedroom. Pushes the double doors open. What does
1: your bedroom look like? So, my bedroom essentially looks like a teenage girl who has yet to learn organization. Um, The bed is a Similar to the furniture outside, you get the sense that this is definitely they've they've been here for some time, but they're also somewhat new. Uh, the furniture it's it's made out of the same wicker bamboo. It actually doesn't have a mattress, um, it or it has a very thin mattress. It's more like a day bed. You can sit up on it, but you can also sleep on it. Um, there's very uh, threadbare, worn pillows. All of everything's made out of like cotton or linen. It's very sort of hot weather stuff. Uh, and uh, to one side, there's a desk that is, I guess, some sort of a writing desk. But the desk is full of various papers and detritus and research stuff. And the bed is on one side, where perhaps it's not slept in as often, just a second closet worth of clothes. And the closet is, like, threadbare. <laughs> Are you a morning person? Uh, I will say not particularly, but habits and society have um, made me a morning person, so there's definitely this feeling of, like, grouchy morning clothes are flung like the the way you can almost see the area if you look at the way the bed it's it's sort of depressed on one side that's clearly where she sleeps um and there's like an explosion of like um linens on the other side like it's flung open because something has clearly woken her up and you, you and you see sort of these four... Sort almost like skeletal depressions that are like (laughs) cat-boss-sized of who clearly is the alarm, morning alarm. I like it.
0: With a stark contrast of style from what you've brought in and what this home is, one might think why did you pick this home? The easiest answer was it's free. There was no deed. Yep. Squatter's rights are amazing, particularly in the quarantine zone. No one has fought you for this. You've made it your own, and you can call it home. Last night, you did a poor job of closing your curtain. The sunlight, early as it is, breaks through and hits you just right in the eye. And at that time, this cat appears. Isn't massaging my kidney. It's getting close. It first, just kind of just hopped up and was doing that walk around. Like, am I gonna bother you? I'm thinking about it. And then it starts like crawls up your leg and sits at your hip. Oh yeah. Starts licking its paw. But you know, this isn't just an ordinary cat. This cat has seen some days, some better days. In fact, it's probably seen death and come back. Its nine lives have been spent. It's on its tenth. It is. Zombified, to be kind. Pieces of its flesh, or more importantly its fur, are just gone. Some of that skin's gone with it. You can see a little bit of its rib cage. When it licks its paws, some of that skin kind of goes with it. (laughs) It's like these fake socks it has on. Um, But then it brushes its head, and it gets better. It's all fixed. It's pretty. And then decides it's time to say good morning. And it curls up right under your chest, under
1: your chin. ...and snuggles you real close. uh. Uh-huh. I go... I, I I think the morning... uh oody cat... Um, ...wakes me up. <laughs> <laughs> and I just sort of... ...absent-mindedly scratch it, scr- scritch it... whatever's left of its head. And I just... ...sort of swear under my breath... ...and say... ...you know... ...even though you're half your weight... I can still feel all 13 pounds of you. Meow. (laughs) And it starts purring as you give it affection. And
0: even though it's early morning, you know, it might not be your prettiest moment. Maybe not even your proudest moment. Sometimes waking up, you get the hair that's all over the place. But I still want to know, what do you look like?
1: Yeah, so Aurora is a human. I, I guess we're all assumed human. Um, uh, of South Asian descent uh, has sort of this wavy loose girl mass of hair that um, she really thinks to herself is probably better served chopped short but her vanity prevents her from doing so and at currently it's almost to the butt um, and Uh, sleeping time is braided but then sort of the top of the head is all kind of messy as overnight it kind of rubs and gets some hair comes out Uh, so it's definitely a very messy braid at this point Um, she is about 5 foot 4 so sort of maybe average height and is uh, even though it's sort of on an average lean being in quarantine, like in the quarantine zone, um, has her... Let's just say her Punjabi assets. (laughs) (laughs) that That do not go away even in a famine. (laughs) Uh, And uh, yeah, she's currently wearing not her regular clothes, but a very uh, comfy and thin... Nightshirt.
0: Although it is the early, and maybe just a little earlier than you'd like, even on your the days that you've gotten used to waking up early, in the room you hear the arm drop on your gramophone. It is your favorite song. It is playing at a wonderful volume. This is actually a gift given to you by the mages you keep company with. It actually runs on a small soul stone and it plays automatically every morning. When your cat can't wake you up, this seems to do the trick. The music changes every now and again, although you never have to change the record. It plays automatically and ends about the time that you'd actually wish it to stop. It seems to know most of your desires. You hear this volume starting to fill the room. The cat hops down the fun thing about cats, or at least on dead cats, is it doesn't really need anything to eat. Doesn't stop it from waking you up as if it needed to, though. Some habits never die. Oh, yeah. It does, like, a little pace around the room, kind of showing off, and then scampers to the windowsill, batting away the curtain, and sitting between the curtain and the window to enjoy some early morning light. Downstairs, you hear a familiar garbled cry of someone without a tongue mm mm-hmm. Familiar to some, I suppose. People who live with this particular individual would definitely understand. That sounds grumpy. That sounds frustrated. More importantly, it sounds bored.
1: How quick are you to scamper downstairs? Uh I change I change into sort of my day clothes. And uh uh, then sort of head downstairs, so the garbling goes on for like a good 15 minutes. And it's on and off. Just yeah. like a pet that's trying to get your attention. Like uh, yeah. it's a
0: high pitch and then dies off for a few seconds. And just when you think you might actually be able to go back to bed, it starts up all over again. Would you like to describe your, your work or your day clothes as well?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm wearing um, what is known as a garra. Uh, which is something that is worn from uh, where my character comes from, and uh, it is essentially a tunic that is a little fitted and 3 sleeves. It has a long veil that you can use to sort of wrap on top of your head and still have like wear it like a scarf, uh, and um, and is made of very sheer muslin. All of this is like very sort of the basic cotton muslin. It's a little whatever color it was, pastel color. It's definitely been a combination of bleached from the sun. uh, Plus threadbare in certain places from wear and tear. As well as the hem is a very... A combination of forever muddied and also fraying. Uh, And uh, the bottom half is essentially... It looks like a skirt, but it's actually very voluminous pants. I love, I love this character. Got some style. Yeah, and it's it's very like pale. Um, it probably once upon a time was a very nice palette of colors, like light pastel, feminine florals. It's now pretty much this splotch of various shades of like off white. The voice is coming from.
0: We'll say the courtyard
1: oh yeah i left Bard out to enjoy the stars you know i think i think what happened was he was left
0: in the rundown library how he got to the courtyard is kind of a mystery although you've come to accept that when he wants to go someplace he'll go where he wants to
1: plus that wheelchair probably explains a good
0: chunk of it part of it i also imagine He doesn't have full function. For those who aren't aware of our dear friend, Bartholomew, we see in this courtyard a withered creature in a wheelchair. What was once a living being has now been mummified to the point of unrecognizability. Skin is gray and raisiny. There are no eyes, it's sunken in. There's still like a few hairs kind of coming out of his head little curly cues, but nothing to give any kind of real identity. It's almost like a ragdoll of sorts. Every now and again, you'll be able to see that he can move. You'll see a leg kind of jiggle. You'll see a hand raise asking for something. As time goes on, he gains more movement. But it seems like the more you stare at him, the less he moves.
1: Ah, so like a... Weeping, a weeping angel of sorts. Of but not sorts. as creepy. Well, not as fatal. Not as fatal. We don't know that. <laughs> I don't
0: know that. <laughs> as you enter the court a courtyard, let's say the courtroom. Nope. No nope. big house, not that big. <laughs> His head rolls towards you. And the eyeless sockets peer at you expectantly.
1: Okay. Uh. So, do you want me to read some more like cultural stuff, or do you want me to read more magical stuff that I'm working on? You choose. And I hold both books up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he uh, maybe not shakes his head. Kind of tries. Like it snaps to the side, and it can't quite get it to roll back.
1: No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Okay, well, I could also just, you know, have the cat here, and then you can play with the cat instead of me reading. Is that what you want? It makes the same kind of gesture this time it snaps its head
0: the other way. And then, trying to think, how how would he sign for this? Again, not really having sign language experience, right? As like, he has mm. kind of like trying to say like backwards, and mm. like last night, like the thing that you read last night is like the message he's trying to get across.
1: Yeah, um, I think after sort of a repeated of, uh, repeated sort of emotion of sorts, since I'm still sort of, we're still learning what our, uh, shared language is of sorts, I say, okay, so you want me to read what I read you last night? Okay. Uh, um, I'll just go get that then. And, um, I grab a book that is sort of like children's tales, um, But, like, South Asian tales, which are usually about birds that uh, trick old kings into doing stupid things. (laughs) It's perfect. Good.
0: Yes. Good. Good, good, good. You spend a good chunk of your morning reading this tale. And a bit like a... Tintiny and the Greedy King. There it is. Perfect. Perfect. And just like a fussy child, he demands it be read to three, four times. And then maybe he falls asleep. Maybe he's just tired of of interacting. He stops moving. He stops talking. You still have time to do some needlepoint this morning if you like.
1: Oh yeah. Um, I work on my current needlepoint, which is mostly sewing and repair of my other threadbare set of clothes. (laughs) Hey, it's a skill. It's a very important skill to have. Yeah. And, um, I've actually taken some cheesecloth that was there and I'm, um, adding some embroidery patterns on it to be a future veil. Hey, what's the, do you have a pattern in mind? Uh, yeah, it's got, uh, it's, it's, it's like a little, um, sort of offset flowers. Hmm. So there's like multiple, there's like this nice bright pink thread, a bright orange thread, a green thread for the little, um, for the little stems or like little leaves. And it's just sort of like an offset where it's like alternating rows and sort of, so it looks like Oh, words, words are failing me, but essentially it's it's a pattern that is repeatable and then hemming the sides and sort of like a colorful thread. Just as you're getting ready to go out your front door before you attend
0: your errands, a letter would poof into existence and this little purple gaseous cloud and it would float for a second before slowly lowering to your hand. This is by no means a foreign invitation. This can only mean one thing. And as you see the wilted rose wax seal on the back of it, it only confirms further. You open it up, and inside it says, The Minerva Council's meeting tonight. Your presence is needed. As our morning comes to a close, it's been productive in its own way, but you knew, even yesterday, you'd been putting it off. More importantly, the market would be fresh today. You know that you need to visit the butcher, and you know you need to get some groceries. Mm Mm-hmm. If you you've already gotten dressed, you've already kind of done your morning routine, so leaving the barrows is really not too hard. You've done this before. This isn't your first week at this house. You know the streets. You know to avoid the sharpshooters. You know which avenues and alleys to, to avoid to avoid conflicts with your fellow necromancers. And you even know the secret place to slide through the quarantine gate so you don't have to worry about the guild guard. It's through the swamp. It's the swamp? The swamp's technically to the south of this whole neighborhood. But, but oh, there are there okay. several <laughs> breaches in the big wall that they've put up to quarantine the quarantine zone and Malifaux proper. Again, the guild thinks they're smart and think that they can really hide most of this or at least cover it. But everyone's human. Everyone needs sleep. And you know exactly where to go. You break through and you see the morning hustle and bustle of Malifaux. It's a much louder area than the quarantine zone. A lot more movement. This is the city life. As some cars are starting to make their appearance in Malifaux. Still some carriages as well. Some horses. Kind of just depends on the wealth that's there. Would you like to visit the butcher first? Or the the market of sorts?
1: I think I'd do the market first. Because once I... I feel like the butcher's closer to my way out, and I also don't want to walk around down with some of my purchases. That's fair. <laughs> I can use the the um, market supplies to sort of cover the other purchases. You go to your favorite produce gal,
0: and really, it's this favorite family. The Beaumonts have always treated you very kindly. Not that you know, people try to treat people kindly here. It's still the big city. It happens. People can be rude. But they don't own a big spot. It's just that they park on a corner of a street, and they have a small little kiosk of a various variety of produce. Sitting in her chair reading a romance novel is a young young woman, I would say 17, 18. Her golden hair is braided, pinned up to keep the heat off, you know, off her neck as much as possible. At least hair her hair off her neck in the heat, more importantly. And she's kind of slouched reading the book. But as you approach, she looks up at you, big blue eyes and smiles. Bonjour! And waves you over.
1: Uh, I sort of wave and I say, bonjour, what are you reading? And this is the part
0: where Alex stops with an accent because she can't fucking do shit. Um, But uh, she like flashes you this cover and it is really the latest of uh, a hit Harlequin pulp series. Which I should just be able to come up with a name on the spot. Let's see. The Miner's Daughter. The Miner's Daughter. Yeah, we'll go with that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> the Miner's Daughter and series, right? So, The Miner's Daughter and The Arcanist. And she's mm-hmm. already halfway
1: through this book. And I say, oh, if you're interested in, in romances, I might have a couple I could bring next time. <gasps> Oh, would you really? That's
0: so sweet. Actually, I probably have some too. And she starts rummaging in her bag, and it's just full, full of these throwaway paperback books. And it's mostly The Miner's Daughter. But there are a few other ones in there. There's one that's kind of a racy vampire story. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is one. She seems to have kind of a supernatural fix, honestly. But who doesn't here in Malifaux? Meanwhile, as she's fishing for books. Before you there is, let's see, what's summer vegetables and uh, there's a, a nice arrangement of strawberries, beaches,
1: ooh, watermelon, ooh, ooh, yeah. mangoes. Why do, I need to play more Stardew Valley. <laughs> <laughs> I am also, a, it's one of those things where summer fruits are kind of my thing. <laughs> so let's see. So we have
0: some watermelon and, and we'll say the strawberries. There's some zucchini out there as well. And, uh, f- I mean, the usual like carrots and onions. And- exactly. it's 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 a small counter, so like they don't anticipate to sell all of it. Clearly, they're kind of off the beaten path, but they seem to like it that way too. They actually come in from Earthside every day to deliver this produce. So they can't really bring too much with them, but no one seems to really fight them for that spot either.
1: Ooh would I have like a special order of like hey if you're going it's summer you could get some mangoes yeah yeah, that would be totally doable so that's probably what I'm picking up like just like oh if you come on this day we'll have those mangoes that you special ordered perfect uh, and you know
0: if you come to this you're obviously doing special orders you know this is Margo the youngest daughter of the family and she would also recognize you which is part of why she was so chipper to begin with so she, she finds this little basket that has four mangoes in it. And what's nice is that they're not ripe yet. Like, they're close. It'll be a day or two before they are, but it's so much better to get them when they're just not quite ripe than getting them when they're already squishy.
1: And... Oh, yeah. They have... And in fact, I actually asked for a couple that are, like, completely unripe because they are actually great for cooking with as well. Nice.
0: Now I want mangoes so bad.
1: So and it's a small bundle and and,
0: I mean they do get it from Earthside. they don't grow them themselves it was kind of like they know a person that know a person but you have a good enough rapport and Mm -hmm. she puts it down and she kind of starts looking for like a ledger or something, did you pay for these beforehand or
1: Uh, I think I might have paid for half of it as like a deposit and then when they show up I'd pay the rest okay well let's just call it five script then Okay. And this is from the 10 script that I have. I guess so. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yep, I
0: I pay that up. And 5 script is actually probably pretty steep. So we'll backtrack that a little bit and we'll say um, 2 script. 2 script. Okay.
1: For... So it did actually cost like close to 5 script. I just paid half of yes. it ahead yes. of time.
0: Mang- mangoes are exotic fruit in America. <laughs> I suppose. She doesn't really have too much to say. It's not that, that she's impolite. It's just she's kind of eager to mm-hmm. get back to her book. But if you, if you have more questions or any kind of conversation you want to have.
1: Uh, oh no. I, when I asked that it was more of sort of like, you know, small talk, but also a I, have a I have books that I brought with me and I'm always very eager to share knowledge and like sort of cultural exchange sort of a thing. So I said oh, well, um do you like star-crossed lovers? Because that's all I
0: have. Do I? And like she puts her head, her chin in both her palms and like gives us uh, just a
1: dreamy sigh. Well, from this particular author, it's like really cool, but it's usually like rich boy, poor girl. They get together, but then the family has something against it and the guy drinks himself to death. Oh.
0: Well, so it's almost like Romeo and
1: Juliet. Yeah, I'll gladly read it. Raphael and Juliet's my favorite. Yeah, Dave Das is really cool and it literally is a real I book. Love it. <laughs> um and it's made into movies a hundred years later. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's a good story. <laughs> yep. Uh but yeah, I so the next time I, I promise uh Margo the next time I come I will bring those books. <laughs> Um I keep wanting to say je
0: ne sais pas because it's like the only thing in French I know and it's I don't know. So <laughs> that's um not the appropriate response here. Um Aura, au, à, au I want to say um thank you. Fuck. Merci. Uh, merci, there it is. <laughs> merci. Uh, 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 I got like <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I'm so sorry I got bar and okay. Aurora mixed together so I just like the Arror sound came out Um.
1: so goodbye Aurora there it is nailed it <laughs> and I wave goodbye as I head over to the butcher alright butcher his name is Butch
0: Oddly enough, that's what people, everyone seems to call him. His sign actually doesn't even, or his his shop doesn't even have a sign. It's more that you have to know what's there. There are windows, but it's always horrendously stuffy. Where he keeps his meat and stinky is, is a nice freezer, but of course there's no access to it. Sometimes you might be able to get, be so, so lucky when he goes to the back and you get that brief chill. That's immediately just squashed by the overwhelming heat. Of this, of this area. He doesn't keep his meat up front. It's more that you have to ask, and he goes back and finds it. So, there's also no real proof oh, of yeah. where this meat comes from. But, he is your prototypical butcher. Tall, big, broad, beard, hairy man. Very steely, grumpy face. He has a shock of red hair, although his beard's a little darker. And... He... So I guess if he's not butchering in front of the shop... Actually, he's probably just tidying. He's doing his best to make sure that the the shop looks good. There's other things around there, too, right?
1: Like, there's some... there's some. I feel like he does special orders, so really, like, what you would do is place the order or send a messenger, and then if you show up, you're actually coming to pick it up, or at least to be like, Hey, could you do this? Exactly. Uh, I, I think it's... I'm trying to give a... a Visual of the storefront,
0: that it's not just like a counter and this guy standing there doing nothing <laughs> until someone
1: comes in the door. Uh, not, Are there a couple of hung like um, leg of lambs or something like things that would sell quickly? I, I maybe
0: some of that, uh, maybe a hunks of bacon. I think also maybe a side thing he does is sharpen weapons or sharpen blades. So, Ooh, so yeah. there's like maybe he's in the kind of the process of of sharpening someone else's cutting knives. And he looks up at you and just gets a little grunt of, of acknowledgement.
1: Uh, and I say, uh, hi Butch. Do you have, uh, my regular order?
0: Furls his brows a little bit and scratches the beard and makes that beard scratchy sound as he hits it with one finger. And his tongue kind of goes to his cheek. And he thinks about it and slowly nods. Yup. Mm-hmm. And he's not a quick-moving man. He gets a knife, another once, twice, down the whetstone, before putting it down on the counter. And makes a dad noise as he gets up. Kind of stretches his shoulders a little bit, (sighs) rolls him back, nods at you one more time, and lumbers towards the back. And lucky you, you get that brief moment of icy air that kisses your face.
1: And my hair, just like like a Bollywood movie, just sort of (laughs) blows in the wind just for, like, that one second. Those little snowflakes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: It's a L'Oreal commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Ha! Yep. And as you'd expect a slow-moving man to be, it takes him a while. Someone comes in the shop, looks around, sees no one there, looks at you. How long have you been here?
1: uh a while and you see me holding one mango up and kind of like feeling it just out of like so that i have something to do with my hands instead of just standing there awkwardly and like inspecting the fruit but i already know what the fruits like the 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 person that came in kind of nods
0: uh-huh okay i uh i guess i'll
1: this was absolutely rub you know unripened while while i was here I-
0: I'll come back later, I guess, then. And kind of, like, scuffs a shoe on the floor and scurries on out. Like, I got other stuff to do. This place is kind of weird. I don't like it. Butch comes back with the parcel you requested. It is wrapped neatly in white parchment paper and with a
1: nice bow. Like, not a rushed bow. But definitely, there's some presentation there. And he hands it off to you. I just give like the brightest smiles like oh thank you so much. The tough
0: You're the tough exterior awesome. breaks and he smiles as well. Good day. And he goes back to his knife and goes back to sharpening. As this uh you know, getting to Mellow proper is an event in itself. It takes some time, to sneak proper sneaking around the guild. Now that you have your packages, the other nice thing that you had to look forward to today is that you get to see someone special. As you make your way to the Mm -hmm. Bronze Lotus, which is an auction house here in Malifo, recently developed, you get to see Jinjing. It's been a flirtation for a while. You went in when you first heard news of her opening the auction house, because you heard that arts and antiques were going to be coming through on a fairly regular basis. And if anyone can track down some of those very special items that you require, it would be Jinjing. It's still early afternoon. I mean, it, it's not kicking business, right? There isn't an auction happening currently. And actually, if anything, it's probably more similar to someone getting ready for a ball or an event. You see her there, and you know, how tall are you again? You said 5'4"? Yeah, about 5'4". About the same height as you. And her long, dark hair is pinned up with a bronze lotus comb. And right now, all you, do, all you can see is the back of her. And even so, you can the, the golden complexion of her skin, you just you can't help but admire it. Because even in the darkest of room, it brings a little bit of sun. She seems to be more of a freewheeling kind of woman in these early times of 1900s. And gosh, I hope I pronounced this correctly. She's wearing a, a full-length cheng song. And it's a dark navy with these really copper, pretty flowers and birds detailed into it. She is giving instructions currently. She also has a very thick Mandarin accent that I will never, ever attempt, <laughs> ever. Uh, but just please know that this is a, a character from China and, and um, that is her English is not her first language. Um, but she is definitely giving instructions to a crew of, of rather, again, large men who can move what looks to be a very large mirror.
1: I sort of try to sneak up behind her and very, I don't know if it's going to sound husky, but sort of huskily sort of whisper into her ear. Want to feel my juicy mangoes. (laughs)
0: Listen, okay, the first episode we ever did (laughs) involved a brothel. So I'm just really glad that all the first episodes we're going to have have something amazing to them. Okay. She stands like a little taller for a moment and looks over your way. And I'm holding a
1: mango in my hand.
0: (laughs) Immediately starts to giggle and laugh. While she is definitely a businesswoman, she is quick to laugh, easy to smile. That kind of soul. And she immediately takes your hand and pulls you to her office. I don't want to go into too much detail
1: here. Nope. Um, But I do offer her two of the mangoes, the more riper ones. And I say, if you'd like to enjoy them now, they will definitely be tart. But if you are patient and wait for a day or two, they will be sweeter. Or I could have one of both. One a little sour, one a little sweet later.
0: Mmm. I like that. (laughs) At this point, her office maybe is a little disheveled. She's fixing her hair a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. I have some information on the the thigh bone you were looking for. Ah, yes. I have yet to discover what the origin of, of this bone is. However, I know the Smithsonian family on Earth has it. I can acquire it for a hundred guild script.
1: Hmm. I don't really have that sort of money right now but I would very much like to see how we can acquire it through other means I mean not stealing obviously, obviously. But, but you know offering services and kind of some kind of something you know or perhaps trading bartering of something equally valuable.
0: At that point she leans in a little closer and looks around as if there might be ears in the wall. I I fibbed a little. Actually I think I know what the thigh belonged to.
1: It's a creature called a lelu. Do I know what this creature is? I don't believe so. Okay.
0: And again she's kind of looking around and she goes on to explain a little further. It's a never born creature. That sounds about right. And all I know is from fairy tales. And she reaches over and tucks a hair behind your ear and, like, like you know, kind of draws the hand across your cheek. Mm-hmm. That's all the information I have right now. I'll see what I can do about an ex- arranging a troid of sorts. When I have more information, I'll let you know.
1: Also, um, if you know the measurements, that would be very helpful. I could just make sure it's the one I'm searching for.
0: She nods and hops off the table (laughs) and goes to (laughs) kind of of rummage on some of the paper that might have fallen and finds finds the file that she's been collecting for you and hands it over. Mm -hmm. It's not a huge file by any means, but you're able to look through it and it has the measurements that I don't have off the top of my head. There's a picture of what you've described and a picture of what's been sent to her. Kind of comparing what might be what might not be. Contact information. It's all very logistical kind of information. But I need to keep this. So don't go running off with it. I understand. As you kind of wander through it, she starts digging through some more of her papers. Uh, not really a book or anything, but... Finds... Finds your homework from last time. While well, I have you... Let's work on some of your dialect. Sure. And not a lot of people in Malifaux know Neverborn. But lucky you.
1: You happen to be smooching one of them. Mm -hmm. And also hearing a garbled version from another. Yes. Lucky you.
0: (laughs) So, most of the rest of your visit is spent, you know, cute little flirtations, winks, giggles,
1: she is, after all, a cunning linguist. Ah,
0: I'm dying. I'm dead.
1: You can totally cut that <laughs> no, out. No, it's <laughs> You
0: said it. You have to suffer through that. <laughs> that is your punishment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So, so, um, as you say your farewells, this takes up most of your afternoon. As you're getting ready to leave, uh, Jinjing closes her door, tending to other matters. You see one of the guys, kind of all too casually, has a thigh bone resting across his, his shoulder as if it were an axe. On it, you see
1: a tag that says "sold." I stare, like I have this big "what the fuck" look on my face, as I stare at Jin, Jin Jin and I say, like, and I just say, I, I don't even say. I gesture to the person, and. Point to her and then point to me and then do point again at that person <laughs> Well the moment you left her office she shut the door. Oh I, I just opened the door and I bust bust in and I say it's already sold Jinjang is no longer there. Wait, where where'd you go?
0: There is a small flurry of papers that was not there before. And it's more that like you just catch the last resting place. Some folks have the ability to teleport. Mhm, some do.
1: I just swear under my breath and I take one mango back with me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right. Betrayed that you are. It is time to return home before a more important meeting is to take place. And really even more so is that you have one more social gathering. You promised to attend. Mm-hmm. There's a book club being held at the Rose Salon. It is being held by a certain Cornelius Yolini. He's also a part of the Minerva Council, although not part of the circle you usually hang around with. He's a politician of sorts. And he tends to ha- hang out. He tends to hang out with the upper crust of Malifaux society. Not quite a noble but may as well be with the power that he can wield. Rumor has it that he was starting a book club for the elite. When this rumor started, a woman named Belle, who is more familiar with you and your talents, although not necessarily a fan, approached you, had grabbed your elbow, and hissed of sorts, this cannot abide. Do you want to have a little fun? The way she
1: says fun is venomous. I like fun. And there's this hint of... Uh, sort of confusion, not quite knowing, but also um, from my Minerva Council mentor. Sort of uh, just... If this these people are important, don't piss them off. So going along with it sort of a way. I cannot
0: believe... That Cornelius didn't think to invite some of us us. Can't believe it couldn't invite some of us to his gathering, his book club. Can you believe it? They're reading around the world in 80 days. How childish. Regardless, let's have a little fun. Let's remind them. They aren't alone here. They aren't the smartest person in the room. Let's join their book club.
1: Okay, except isn't a book club usually involving more than one person? Otherwise, it would just be reading. They invited everyone but us.
0: Almost everyone. All, the, all those people that he hangs out with. I don't really care about the merchants or the nobles, but us, we uh, we require reading. We're far more academic than most of the dribble that he hangs with.
1: And I just sort of nod my head along, sort of like yes-manning a little. (laughs) I was like, whatever you say, Uh uh-huh, uh-huh.
0: There is maybe just a slight crazed look in her eye, but it settles out pretty quick. She gives you the date. She gives you the location. And today is that day. The Rose Salon is actually in Malifaux proper, although you
1: have your groceries in hand. I would go home, return my groceries, wear my nice clothes, go to the book club, and then the meeting after.
0: Okay. So let's see. Let's let's adjust it slightly then. Knowing that you have that book club to go to and then the meeting, the, the proper meeting, you go home, you change into nicer clothes. And it's smart to enjoy a bite of dinner. What do you make?
1: Uh... I actually use one, the the unripened, the most unripened mango, and I throw it into a sort of very light summery dal, and I spoon it over some rice. Yum. And just eat it up. Next to you, perhaps it was old Bart.
0: Since his appearance, you've noticed that an evening paper makes its way to your dining room table in the evening. Obviously, because it's the evening paper. Supernatural subscriptions. (laughs) (laughs) Probably stolen off of the Barrows family. It's fine. On it, on the front page, is a headline that reads, Woodenford Gibson, missing. Last of Malifaux's Gibson family, gone in a flash. In the details of this article, you learn of the Gibson family demise. It's been a rumor about Malifaux for the last few years, at least. The newspaper details a mysterious illness that took the wife, Mrs. Gibson. Shortly thereafter, Mr. Gibson met a grisly fate in an alleyway, mugged, killed, left for dead. Winifred Gibson is a 16-year-old girl, now orphaned, with the entire estate of her parents and her name. While orphaned, she is being watched over by their butler. He is now her chaperone. She is now his ward. His name is Enoch. Winifred Gibson is now missing. All accounts of her disappearance involved her yelling at Enoch. There was a flash of bright white light, and then she was gone. Enoch looked around and ran. The newspaper reads, article reads, Enoch is now a known arcanist, and should be treated with caution. If someone spots him, and there's a picture in the newspaper, he is a posh-looking man. He has a very stern-looking face. He is presumed to have kidnapped Winifred for nefarious purposes. Although no ransom note has been declared, it is still a mystery as to why the Gibson family continues to see such travesty.
1: I guess the butler did do it. I mutter to myself as I... Glance the paper and sort of leave it in a position <laughs> where Bart can read it. So considerate. Like I find, I find an old like um, music, like music <laughs> uh, sheet holder um, that was in the house, probably in whatever conservatory was in this house, and I just prop the paper up. So thoughtful, so considerate.
0: Oh, sweet, sweet Aurora. It is time to attend your book club. You make your way, although at this point in time, the bar are starting to look a little bit more lively. Before where it was quiet, you're actually hearing the crack shots of the sharpshooters, even though you know to avoid that street. Mercenaries are starting to go to town, go to work, as the curious mind has fledged, has fledged, has pushed their way into the quarantine zone. There is a resurrectionist and one brawling over a body left in the corner. Nearby, you hear a firework crack. It's still too early to see it, but you know the Borrows must be having some sort of event. You're able to once more sneak your way back into Malifaux proper, avoiding the attention of guild guards. You're able to get to the Rose Salon, and for for this uppity bar, essentially, this lounge. It's fairly busy. They don't have AC by any means. It's just the place to be. If you have the money to afford it, that's where you go. On the stage is oh, and it's been a while since I've described the the rose. It is so gauche. Uh, it has these heavy, rich fabrics of, <laughs> of burgundy and these floral rose rose floral rose patterns in the brocade brocade of the fabric and heavy curtains kind of isolate individual booths. The tables themselves are pretty dainty and can only fit really one or two people, almost bistro style chairs. Daniel's the bard. He is uh, sleeves rolled up, busy at work, and yet never seems to sweat. Always calm, always one with the bar. There are stairs that lead up to bedrooms, although they are few and far between, rarely used. Due to the infrequent use, it is easy to customize each room as needed. If it needs to be a bedroom, it can be a bedroom. If it needs to be a conference room, it can be a conference room. Belle is waiting by the stairs for you. This is a woman, and I'll give this description as this is our first episode of season two, so there might be people who do not know who Belle is. She is of Indian descent, and today she is wearing a very rich crimson in fashion gown. Has the bustle has thick striping on it has black detailing of lace her hair is coiffed perfectly not a hair out of place even in the summer heat and on the bridge of her nose rests half moon glasses she stands as if there's a ruler running down her back or perhaps something else propping her up elsewhere she has this otherworldly beauty to her that would be eye-catching awe-stopping except it's more like mud thrown on a diamond there is just something about her that's hard to admire the beauty that she so carefully grooms she constantly once she, she makes eye contact with you there is a cool glare and sometimes just a chill goes down your spine she's not the friendly sort she's currently reading a book she's also reading the latest romance novel The Miner's Daughter and the Arcanist she's much further than Margot was she has yet to spot you but she's clearly waiting for you by the stairs
1: I walk up and I say oh this is getting quite popular
0: and her cool green gaze meets yours and seems to like debate of whether or not she actually wants to speak to you even though she invited you to this thing there's that <laughs> moment of ooh do I regret this It's like, wait, are we friends? (laughs) No one really knows with her. She closes the book in one hand and holds it close to her chest and looks
1: you up and down, judging silently. Especially since I'm where I'm... I kind of have the... I would only use this term for this to really set the scene. I am very... Like, have that fresh off the boat look versus her coming from, I'm assuming, same part of the world, but much more assimilated in Malifaux. It seems to, like, take a breath to calm down. And you notice, like, she even
0: gives the room a, a look around, clearly uncomfortable with the amount of people. And just shoulders relax. And she forces a smile. It's tight, but it's there. I'm glad I'm not doing this alone.
1: I'm glad that you're glad. And I still have this sort of I'm not sure what it's one of those is like you know if there's like a video game sort of thing is this the correct response i should be making or will she turn on me sort of and she reads so much into that she like that smile
0: slowly fades and a brow arches don't 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 pretend we don't need to do that here where
1: oh right don't waste okay. my time
0: like that it's fine Just say what you want to say
1: um I don't know why I'm here and I have another meeting to go to. We,
0: we both do, darling.
1: Oh, right. Yeah, you're part of the council, too. <laughs> She's actually the
0: speaker of your faction. Oh,
1: <laughs> yeah, I say exactly that. I say exactly that. <laughs> okay. If that brow could go
0: up any higher, it would. <laughs> Sometimes it's just important to remind them we're all in this together for better or worse and she lifts up her skirt and starts to ascend the stairs and she seems to know exactly which room to take you to
1: I follow like a somewhat lost puppy (laughs) (laughs) opens the door
0: and it's a small gathering like the way she made it sound like that there's gonna be a ton of people here there's like four and now you two (laughs) and one of them happens to be Neil Yellini Cornelius Yellini I'm not sure how f- how close you and Neil are in the sense of that. Uh, and they're still enjoying cocktail hour. There's a little plate of cheese. There's some wine being drank. She adjusts her half-moon glasses and stands up straight as she peers across the room, not taking a moment to look over her shoulder to see if Aurora's behind her or not. I heard we're having a book club?
2: Yes, I am shall I say, surprised to see that you made it. But I'm
0: so happy you came.
1: I imagine so. Oh, no, no, I was just... I was... To add to atmosphere, I'm just sort of, like, visual cue of, like, um, I'm just gonna skulk here in the corner. A little shy finger wave. <laughs> yeah.
2: And <laughs> who's this that you brought?
0: Well, kind of quirks her head a little bit. Surprised that you don't know someone else to any the Minerva Council, but turns to introduce uh, this is aurora aurora she
1: is one of us uh hi um thank you for inviting me to this club
0: yeah i'm
2: so glad you can make it
1: this politeness seems to fluster her slightly
0: in the sense of we didn't get an invitation and like wondering if maybe it just got lost in the mail so she's going to take a moment to consider the options
1: And and Aurora realizes that, oh, wait, I didn't get an invitation. I basically um, crashed the party, but that was the first thing that came out of my mouth because that's what polite people do. It's like almost like a reflex. And she heads over and just plops herself in the first available seat and proceeds to very gingerly nibble on food, hoping that's enough to kind of like basically wallflower attitude of just like, I'm just gonna stay here and let Belle do her thing. Well, Under Her Arm is a copy
0: of Around the World in 80 Days. Hers is well-loved. There are bookmarks in it. She would never dare to dog-ear her books. But it definitely seems to have been read a few times over at this point. And she looks around and sees that people are drinking and eating food and her having no patience for small talk. Well then, are we going to discuss this? And there's a small mingling in the crowd of like, oh, we were supposed to read it? And, and, and Azad is at that point kind of waves her over. He's like, Come here. we're the only ones that read it. <laughs> Seeing that uh, Aurora is taken to her own by Skulking and Neil being a great host as already Seeming to, to navigate the troubled waters that she does so desperately tried to stir, she kind of gives a huff and rearranges her appearance once more and goes to talk about the book.
1: So what book were we supposed to read?
2: Oh, um, that is a very good question. I selected the book Around the World in 80 Days. Have you read it before or heard of it?
1: I might have. I've, I've skimmed the, the the little like summary in on uh, on the inside.
2: The foreword.
1: Yes, that that that's that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it it sounds really interesting. Um, Eighty days. Probably don't get to see much of the world if all you're trying to do is travel. That's not very fun. If you're going to go through all the trouble of visiting around the world, why try to do it in 80 days and not actually see the world?
2: Well, see, that's actually a very good question as well. As, uh, well, some of us might know, um, the main character was given a bet. And so, in order to collect on the bet, he had to actually make it around the world in 80 days.
1: Oh. So you go through all the stress of traveling and try to do it just to win a bet?
2: But he won more than a bet. He found his wife, he found just a love of life in general, the the journey, the transformation that it was for him, I mean, really, you should read this book.
1: Oh. Yeah, um, definitely. Especially if he found his wife. Uh, I mean, that must have made his parents very happy.
2: I guess.
1: You know, if I I tried to go explore the world, my mom would basically be like, Why? What are you gonna do? After all, you're just gonna go get married. And it's like, yeah, well, that's what I'm gonna- I'm gonna get married and I start going on about marriage and and parents expectations for a good while until your eyes glaze over I'm
0: curious now where uh where are Aurora's parents how is how
1: old is Aurora Aurora is probably early 20s So, um, yeah, that, that is a bit of a mystery. Where, where is, where's Aurora's parents? The, the
0: rest of the book club goes swimmingly. Is there anything you want to accomplish in this book club? Yes. Mm -hmm.
2: I wanted to insult Belle.
0: (laughs) (gasps) Oh God. Okay. Because
2: there was that, there was a tension there. And so I have to, I have to do it. And I think I have a good in end
0: as the book club proceeds. I mean, you didn't really have a timestamp on this besides the fact that everyone in this room has a meeting to go to later tonight. That, although that was more of a surprise than in really planned, doesn't matter. For the most part, the conversation is starting to dwindle. People are considering leaving, although Belle is still sitting there talking to her newfound friend about this book, seeming to talk in detail about the symbolism of something in chapter three.
2: So, uh, Belle, uh, you know, I was just curious, how much time do you have left on that loan? And I gesture towards the book.
0: Kind of, wiggles her glasses. Excuse me.
2: Well, it's clearly a library book, right? So I was just wondering, where you got the the loaned book?
0: It's it's my copy. I own this. This is mine.
2: Oh, well, why does it look so worn?
0: Back stiffens a bit at this as a finger trails across, you know, the the front bang to tuck behind her ear. Well, Neil, if you ever took the time to read anything more than a passing glance, perhaps your own books would look like this.
2: Okay, uh, I actually read the book, so, uh, yeah. Thanks for coming?
0: Next time I highly suggest you just invite me along. That way I don't have to make a scene.
2: Well, I apologize. I I believe I did have one sent to the mages. I don't know where it ended up, though.
0: A mystery for the ages.
2: Well, next time, I suppose I will extend a personal invitation to...
0: Which is how it should have been. I'm not sure where the rest of the mages fall, except for waves vaguely at Aurora. <laughs> she came along. The one with the parents, yes. I believe we all have parents. That doesn't distinguish her by far.
2: Yes. I just feel like she has more than the rest
0: of us. Parents?
2: Uh, just more parent issues.
0: I don't think she really has anything to say about that. And kind of turns her shoulder to you. Like, are we. We're done, right? I can go back to talking to someone interesting. Thanks. <laughs> it blew back so bad. <laughs> Aurora, I know you you spend most of this quiet. Is there anything you would like to accomplish in this time?
1: Um, I think overall, because I got dragged for this, probably knowing people, but that doesn't have to be something that is kind of like a scene. Alright, you kind of
0: mingle politely. Maybe not necessarily fitting in with this crowd. They are politicians, lawyers, legal folk.
1: I tried to talk about Indian um, like literature, and and especially Bengali literature, and so their eyes start to glaze over. Unlike um, Cassidy, when I was talking about sort of like star-crossed lovers and tragedy, so I just keep stuffing my face with cheese, basically.
0: I would say they'd give a noble effort. They they try. It's just not quite clicking, and the rest of the time passes eating the cheese. It's it's pretty good cheese, like. I mean, not very many places, have better? Plus, you didn't have to pay for it, which, in my book, is always a
1: plus. Free food's always good. Like, I mean, here's the thing about Aurora. Aurora will practically do anything for free food.
0: As it winds down, Sydney leaves first, Theodore shortly thereafter, and almost like just in the middle of a conversation, Belle stands up and looks around. Not even so much looking at the both of you. Just up and leaves like as if hearing a whistle, hearing a call, hearing something. Stands up, grabs her skirts, and whisks on out. It is a very weird display, even for Belle. It's kind of hard to put your thumb on as to why anyone would do act like that. But
2: I quickly survey the room to see if anyone else could just noticed this abrupt departure.
1: I sort of am in the middle, mid, mid chew, and I was like, I think. Um, this is my cue to leave. Um, this was a good book club. Okay, thanks, bye. And I follow, but I imagine she's already left, and I come back, and I say, So, I guess I will leave now so I can arrive at my next meeting on time. Well, it was nice knowing y'all. Bye point of
0: interest sorry real quick point of interest is when you followed her it was like you were able to see her walk down the hall and just almost evaporate that figure itself just kind of faded into mist and disappeared not quite like a ghost it just is mage's teleport sort of a thing exactly not creepy just magic
1: yeah and i figured that's what it is but that puts me in as odd well i came with her, and um, I was, she was supposed to get me a ride there, I was supposed to go with her.
0: <laughs> I was just adding exposition for the sake of the audience. Don't like oh, me. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, Oh yeah, no, no, no. Uh,
2: Aurora, right? Yeah. You're part of the council as well. Um, I'm also headed there. Do you want to catch a ride with me?
1: Um, uh, that, that would be lovely. Thank you. Uh, it certainly beats, uh, walking there. Not that I might not that I don't mind walking, I can certainly walk. Uh um yeah, I mean I have all this food and me it'd probably give me the energy to walk all the way, but um I don't know at this time of night and this and that. Um, you know what? Sorry, yep yeah. yeah, thank you. That would be lovely.
2: Yeah, no problem. I just it looked like you, the person you arrived with just kinda up and went.
1: Yeah, Bill does that a lot. If I'm honest, she's really scary.
2: I see the resemblance.
0: Neil, you know that Percival will be there with the car waiting for you to take you to this meeting. So you two are both able to, once the the book club has officially wrapped up, get scooped into this seat, or get scooped into this car. Where do you guys sit? Does anyone sit in the front? Are you both in the back? I imagine it's a four-seater. Because those existed.
2: I would have opened the door for her to the back.
1: I would go wherever the door is open to. Uh, it may be one of my first few rides in a car, so I just follow directions as indicated and thank Neil and go sit in, and if Neil's following, then I would scooch.
2: I would walk around to the other side after shutting the door.
1: Then I don't scooch.
0: <laughs> I like the scooch that goes back and forth, thinking, oh, wait, oh, no,
1: and scooch back. Okay, I scooch back in the opposite direction then.
2: (laughs) Well, Aurora, don't think me so posh. This is a perk of the job, not obviously my car.
1: Oh, well, it's a very nice perk. Uh, My perk is that I get to have privacy to myself and decorate my house as I will. And I get to have old Bart for company.
2: Isn't that... Normal? I mean except for that last bit.
1: Well, Old Bart has trouble, so um has trouble talking really, um, although I'm getting to learn his signs, so you know, we're we're having our little sign language while we're talking, and I kind of understand most of what he's saying. You know, he doesn't really have a jaw anymore. And then there's kitty. Kitty kitty sweet. Kitty kitty keeps Bart old Bart calm.
2: Well that's good. I say nodding, confused.
1: In a house that's basically blown up in the center. But I describe it like it's a, it's on purpose. It's like a courtyard that's currently being turned into one.
2: Just imagine Neil's thinking like these manicured gardens. She talks about just walking out and being to this courtyard. And I just like, wow, that sounds really nice. You know, we should do the book club over there sometime. I don't know, maybe that's an idea.
1: Yeah, that would be good, except it's kind of not, it's out of the city, it's close. Oh,
2: well, I don't want to impose, it was just, you know, it sounds so very nice. No,
1: I'd, I'd love to have visitors, just, um, I just know people in general maybe have a little issue with um, it being in Resurrectionist territory.
0: That would be a huge red flag for Neil. that means she is living in that means she is living in the quarantine zone, which is not a fun place to be. Not a lot of pretty houses. I mean, it used to be pretty houses. Now mostly run down.
1: Yeah, it's like well, you know, it's, it's it's especially if you want to have it in the evenings, it gets a little harder. Plus, old Bart sometimes gets easily spooked. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> well, no, because he's a spook.
0: So we're going to fade the conversation there as Aurora continues to share bundles of information with Neil.
2: She lives with an old spy and a cat. This is very strange.
0: Driving into the night, you find yourself delving into the housing neighborhood of Malifaux. There is a particular lack of hills in this area, except for one. It happens to be man-made, and although it doesn't tower, it is sufficient in helping the mansion on top of it loom over the other homes. This home doesn't belong to anyone in particular in fact no one really inhabits it on the regular and no one knows who holds the deed every now and again you might see people live there but never for long it's almost like it serves as a transition house for the wealthy as they wait for the new malifaux home to be furnished the lack of inhabitants makes the building the perfect place for the minerva council to call home unlike the others in the neighborhood this building displays a neoclassical architecture almost what you'd expect a grecian temple to look like four white columns stand strong, holding up the small roof above the double-set door. It isn't made entirely of stone, but its angular nature and defined arches make it stand out that much more amongst the Victorian styles surrounding it. Your right ascends the gravel driveway that curves up and back down the yard. Such logistics create the perfect drop-off point for guests and the perfect exit point for traffic. The rocks crunch beneath your feet as you step out on the manicured footpath leading you to the doors ahead. Trapped willow wisps and opalescent orbs decorate either side of you as you approach, providing a cool contrast to the warm lights along the home's foundation, angled to illuminate the structure. As you look at your wandering peers, you know some people are dressed as if it were a ball. Others are in crisp business attire. It's hard to tell from any given person what event is happening tonight. In fact, the uninformed could assume it was multiple events in one place. You, however, know better. Head held high, you climb the steps to face two uniformed doormen who promptly open the doors for you. It is time to attend the Minerva Council meeting.